The world is going crazy. How do we raise a generation that avoids compromising and becoming like the world in its rejection of absolute truth and then adopting the latest trendy beliefs or the spirit of our age or falling into the other side of the ditch into isolating into a holy huddle, being overly cautious and afraid of the world? My guest today has spent five decades as part of Francis Schaeffer's Labrie Fellowship, helping people navigate this balance of being in the world, but not of it, and ultimately being able to live confidently and boldly as followers of Christ in what Schaefer called true truth. That is truth that's lived out in love despite the wild world around us. It is for sure something we strive for each day as classical Christian educators and as parents, but for sure not easy. Stay tuned for this episode of Basecamp Live. Mountains, we all face them as we seek to influence the next generation. Get equipped to conquer the challenges, summit the peak, and shape exceptionally thoughtful, compassionate, and flourishing human beings. We call it Ancient Future Education for Raising the Next Generation. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Now your host, Davies Owens. Well, welcome to Basecamp Live. Davies Owens on the line with Dick Kyes. How are you, Dick? Very well. It's good to have you back on Basecamp. You were here a few years ago. I hope people have heard that interview with you. If folks don't know you, you're the Director Emeritus of Labrie Fellowship there in Southboro, Massachusetts, and you and your wife, Marty, have uh, been at Labrie. I, I, gosh, when did you guys first engage? Back in the 70s, right? Well, we, we started working for Labrie first in 1970. Wow. Uh, we started off in Switzerland, then went to England, then found our way back home. And we're going to talk a little bit about what is this Labrie thing, just to say a little bit more about your background. You, you've got a, a BA in history from Harvard and MDiv from Westminster Theological, and I know you've been an adjunct professor at Gordon-Conwell. And the greatest thing, Dick, is you, you've spent, gosh, I don't know how many decades now engaging in, right on the front lines in the lives of uh, young and old alike, just sort of dealing with matters of faith and life. So for those folks that don't know, what is Labrie Fellowship? Can you kind of summarize that in terms of what's it, what's it all about? Well, it's, it's, um, it takes a long time to, to, to do, uh, do justice to it. My, my children used to dread uh, being asked, what do your parents do? <laughs> because uh, it's so hard to describe it. Basically, it's, it was started by Francis and Edith Schaefer in the 1950s, uh, when they just felt God was leading them to open their home to anybody who wanted to come and think and argue and study and uh, mainly discuss, interact with the Christian faith. Is it true? Is it a bunch of rubbish? Uh, is it not true? If it's true, what does it mean? And uh, they were overwhelmed with people who could have could find no other place to come and be taken seriously for all their with all their weird ideas and uh, it started in switzerland grew to uh england holland um and uh, we started a branch in this country it's also in brazil and south korea and canada um and so on so it's uh now it's developed and with all these different places uh it's a residential place people come and stay with us um we sit down with each one as they arrive and ask, what's your story? What do you hope to get from your time with us? And then we put together a curriculum for each person. We, we very much welcome those who are not Christians, but are willing to look at the Christian faith to see what it's all about. And uh, so we put together a, 
uh, a study program, and that half the for, for them that is made up of books usually, but also a lot of recorded tapes, a lot of audio tapes, or rather audio lectures on uh, on, on now on computer, it used to be on tapes, uh, but um, half the day one would uh, do one study, the other half the day we'd put them to work, meaning preparing meals, hauling wood, doing gardening, carpentry whatever needs to be done to run the community. And then a, a great deal of time in between having discussions, just discussions over meals, discussions uh, at odd times informally. And then each student, each, for anyone who comes, we call them a student. You have to be at least 18, but there's no upper age limit. So some students are uh, in their 50s, 60s, or even 70s, but most are in their 20s and early 30s. I was just say it's such a remarkable place that like, I don't know anything else like it. In fact, um, historically at the Ambrose School, I've gone in every year to our senior class and said, hey, as you are uh, having opportunities going into college, maybe in the summers, if you can get to Labrie, let me encourage you to do that. Um, I'm I'm probably the biggest Labrie fan out there. I think my, my mother back, as you know, this story, Dick, back in the 70s went through a crisis of belief um, read Schaefer's book, The God Who Is There. It, it put her back on the track in the early 80s. We were at Labrie in Switzerland. I went back, I think I've been four times, Switzerland, England, different trips over. It's. I don't think I would be where I am right now were it not for this amazing community where honest answers um, can be given to honest questions. And I think that was really what Schaefer did, especially you know, back in this very tumultuous 1960s when everything was sort of getting turned on its head, not unlike today, of course. Um, but Schaefer was, I know Time Magazine in 1960 said Francis Schaefer was, quote, a missionary to the intellectuals. So what was Schaefer trying to do in terms of uh, engaging Christians um, to understand not just intellectualism, because he was certainly, a, I mean, holistic in the sense of you know, a robust faith, not just a mind faith, but um, what were some of the things that he contributed that really um, set him apart? It's hard to say, in a way, because, I mean, I think he would go back right to a crisis of faith he had himself uh, in the early 1950s, where he um, concluded that the Christians, the all very good Orthodox Christians that he'd been, uh, Orthodox with a small o, uh, that he'd been hanging out with and dealing with Presbyterians, Reformed Christians in the States, uh, and looking at how they'd their church life and so on had gone together, he said, he realized that what the Bible expects us to see uh, in Christians, in, in the lives of those who believe in Jesus, I don't see in their lives and in the way they do their church and uh, the, the whole picture. I don't see love. I don't see forgiveness. I don't see ser- seeking reconciliation. I see people digging holes to, 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 to be more right than anybody else and so on. And then he said, I don't see that in myself either. I see that I don't have a sense of the reality of God that I did when I first became a Christian, which was in high school. And he uh, said he canceled all his speaking engagements, his writing and so on, and for months backed up and said, I've got to think this through myself to see if I need to, if I can carry on as a Christian or I need to throw the whole thing out. And he came through that time uh, with a tremendously greater sense of the certainty of the truth, but also of the presence of God, the aliveness of God, and the grace of God through Christ. And he saw, in a sense, in new ways how Christ's, how we should live in, in an awareness in the present time of, of 
God's grace through Christ to us in, in salvation. And so it was a deeply spiritual crisis that he says, without that, Libri never would have happened. Uh, and, and I don't know where I would have gone, but, but, but uh, that is basic to it. So in that, in that you have uh, his conviction that if, you're, if you have doubts, if you have difficulties, put them out on the table. <clears throat> don't try and bury them. Don't try and stuff them but put them out on the table and you've got to wrestle with them. Find someone to help you wrestling with them. And so Libri has always been a place <clears throat> where we've welcomed people with doubts, welcomed people with difficulties and, and, and said, let's put them on the table and, and, and look at them carefully and, uh, and, and really reflect on them uh, thoroughly. Uh, and, and then when we get to the, what the Christian faith is, let's really ha- make sure we have a grip on grace, uh, God's grace through Christ. And so those two things are, are very, very central to him. And he had, I think, a great level of integrity uh, in terms of uh, knowing it was true, in terms of his commitment to that truth and the way he ran his life, and, and also in his emotional life. He felt the truth of God in a way that I think uh, that stood out uh, to me and others who've known him. He, he felt uh, the grace of God and the glory of that. He felt the lostness of people who were lost. He felt their suffering and, and so on. So uh, he was able to communicate it through, uh, through all those those media. And he seemed like he really embodied what is so often lacking today. I mean, we, I know Labrie talks about that balance between God's holiness and God's love. Like these are not, it's not just argue for righteousness sake and have no love in the process or just become flaky and emotional and have no substance behind it. And Schaefer really, it was true truth. It was that he could, he could anchor deep that God is an infinite personal God and he is present and he, you know, he, it works in the real world. And I remember, you know, conversations, a lot of the hippies, I guess in the sixties ended up, you know, after not getting what they were looking for at the feet of the Indian gurus, walked up the mountain in Switzerland and, found this man with a goatee and knickers who was willing to say the Bible's actually true for the real world. And it's, uh, it's, it's not an escapist religion. And so I, I, you know, I think against, I mean, there's a lot we can talk about there, but I want to get to this idea that, I mean, we're kind of back in a sense or maybe even worse than we've ever been in, in a world that is, uh, even among believing Christians, I know Barna has done a good bit of research on this, that, I mean, where it's, Barna said that, you know, when you ask a question like the Bible provides us with absolute moral truths, which are the same for all people in all situations without exception, only 59% of believing Christians would even agree with that. So we're in a, we're in a cultural moment where uh, that, that anchoring deep into true truth is just not there. And, and I think it's no doubt people are finding the church and Christian life to be less than satisfying. So you've, you've written a lot about this. You've thought a lot about it. Kind of help us understand kind of what you're seeing as far as the cultural moment that we're in, especially as it pertains to truth and our ability to even, uh, uh, you know, to receive truth and, and have confidence in it. Yeah, that's a very hard one uh, for me. And I, I, um, I can only just sort of maneuver around a little bit with it because I think, as you say, there is, uh, I, I see problems in two areas that we can get at maybe, maybe more in a minute. But, but on the one hand, there's the, the relativism and the, and the mushiness and the way faith can be reduced to, to just feeling good about yourself or something like that. Uh, and so that has no patience with um, truth that really stands, that is against what is false, 
that uh, because it's truth from God is not just the result of human constructions, uh, but is really something we need to bow before. Uh, and But the trouble is, is on the other side, uh, many Christians who believe that in theory, uh, I think don't take seriously all of that. <laughs> all of what, because the truth of God is very wide. As you, for example, if you look at the Ten Commandments, uh, and you realize that you, if you look at them carefully, you realize they are very, very socially relevant. They have everything to do with, not on our all of the commandments, but, but a huge amount to do in the Ten Commandments with how we treat other people. And if you take those seriously, that encompasses both politically right and left in our society. So I think a great tendency is for those who do believe in the truth uh, to, to, for example, let the Republican Party be the, the truth for them and the, and the part of God's truth the Republican Party believes in um, is the main part of God's truth. Now, I am a Republican, actually, but, but uh, and I don't want to form the, the battle lines there, but I think the, 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 the problem is if we, if we, if we uh, follow a political package, we are restricting ourselves to part of God's truth. So the sad thing, I think, is that people who don't compromise on the truthness of truth uh, do compromise on the, the scope of God's truth and, and how much it covers. So I think we're in a very tough situation uh literally this week and and uh looking forward to to um where the church is so we can go in all sorts of directions from there but well and i think that this idea of you know going back to the the moment in time in which we're in if if most modern young people and and even in christian circles might get soft on this idea that that there is absolute truth if you don't have that anchor point you're left really with yourself. And that's a pretty discouraging place. No doubt some of the rising rates of depression, anxiety, and so on are related to just this inability to find oneself in the midst of this confident uh, world that God has made. And so I, I think you know, you've written on this notion of Christians kind of falling into two camps, one being kind of tribalist where they they uh, they you know remove themselves and isolate from or create you know these enclaves or whatever we want to call them, uh, away from the world. And then there's the other grouping that's probably more common of becoming more chameleon-like. So how, how does that, that tension play out? What do you see as far as young people today trying to find their way and falling in one side of this or the other? Could you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, I, I go back very quickly to the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and, and in the Beatitudes, Jesus gives us the picture of the individual Christian and then he goes on and says, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And there he's talking about a collective identity, a social identity for Christians. What happens to this Christian when you drop him or her into the world? And actually in describing that, you know, salt means flavor and means taste and preservative. Light means goodness and truth and illumination and so forth. But he actually spends more time talking about the failure to be salt and light. And I think in those two images, he gives a key to a danger of how Christians behave when they know they're in a minority. Uh, and the first is to be, to be salt, less salt, to fail to be salt. And that's the, the compromise idea. It was salt, just you, um, they had salt there around the Dead Sea, which had so been corrupted by other chemicals that it looked like salt, but it wasn't even salty anymore because it, so it had lost its taste. And he gave that as an example of how, uh, a Christian can be just 
wanting to blend in to what's all around them and the surrounding majority culture for safety's sake. And they would be diluted and compromised and get resonant with the culture where God wanted them to be dissonant with the culture. And I, I sort of call that the chameleon option, like a chameleon adapting the color to, uh, to the color of everything that's around them. Uh, and, and so that's one thing that Jesus says not to do. The other option is, is um, that you're a light under a bushel, which is uh, what David just described as a, as a, a tribal uh, option. That's also feeling a minority and feeling the pain of being a minority. And so retreating into circling the wagons and a, a quarantined Christian community, a Christian subculture. Uh, which begins to speak a, a tribal Christian dialect and re reads only tribal Christian books, uh, listens to only tribal Christian music, uh, uh, but they're very right and good and safe and spiritual. And I call that the muskox syndrome because it's a, the, the great Arctic animal, who, which uh, when they're threatened, they form a circle with whacking big horns facing out, and uh, and they protect the the, the young and, and so on within that circle. And that reminds me of the, how... A response of, of, of Christianity is, which is a different one, and, and and both of those minimize the pain of being a minority, because the the, the chameleon uh, blends in, and so there's no conflict with the majority. Uh, the, the tribal group uh, uh, tribalizes, and and uh, and so there's no uh, no uh, contact with with society. And so either one fails at being in the world. Uh, and so I, I think there's a whole um, pattern uh, to, to, to both. And, and uh, I, I often tell a Jewish joke because the Jewish people are so good at telling jokes about themselves that illustrates it to me in a certain way. It's, it's the, uh, the, you have two rabbis. One is an Orthodox rabbi who's an older man, and then a younger Reformed rabbi, and they're talking together. And the Orthodox, the older man, says to the, to the younger rabbi, uh, there's a boy in my congregation who wants a Harley for, for his bar mitzvah. And what is a Harley? And the Reformed rabbi thought, oh, a Harley is a kind of motorcycle, but what's a bar mitzvah? And uh, the whole point is, you see, that uh, these are two uh, religious leaders. One is connected with the modern world, and one is connected with his own tradition, but each are totally disconnected with um, the, the older rabbi with the external world and the younger rabbi with his own tradition. And that is not just a Jewish joke. That is true for every religion uh, in a fast-changing, secularizing society. Uh, that's totally true for the Christian faith. We're meant to be uh, do the equivalent of knowing uh, all about Harleys and also all about bar mitzvahs uh, in our own tradition. No, I, I'm, I think that's a that's a great example of this tension that, especially again for the Base Camp Live audience, many folks are in classical Christian schools, and there's obviously. Uh, I say obvious, I think it, a, an assumed desire to not just sequester kids away from the world, but in effect to equip them for the real world they're stepping into and to kind of to walk that line. And, I, and again, I think that's why this is such an interesting conversation. Schaefer was kind of the rebel in his day because he would show students films of Bergman or listen to Pink Floyd in a day when Wheaton students weren't even allowed to attend movies. So you see this this ability or this willingness to be bold and, and stepping with faith into this world. And 
I, I, I mean, it's again been significant in my own walk with Christ to have that Labrie mentality of let's don't be afraid of what's out there, but let's don't relinquish who we are in the process. Yeah. Yeah, I'm equally afraid of both sides, actually. I mean, I, there's certainly the compromise side that's very weak and, and wishy-washy, but also there's the rigidity uh, of the other side. And for uh, we got a lot of our students coming from Christian families who can't stand living with the uh, the rigidity and the lack of sensitivity to other people, uh, people who are different, uh, people who believe all sorts of different things, uh, but uh, are... are, are are shot out, closed out of the church, and 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 any connection with Christians, and so uh, it's it's a a really difficult place we're in, where where there, I I describe it as it's like we're sitting on the ridgepole of a roof, and there are two slippery slopes to fall off of. Most Christians are only worried about slipping off to being a chameleon. They're only worried about you know we're faithful, we're right. And they're only worried about sliding down the compromised slope. Uh, but they, they're unaware that there is another slope, and they may already be halfway down that in terms of the openness that the Scriptures have to, to, for us to, to connect with non-Christians, with non-believers. Well, that's a great image. Um, that's a fantastic image, Dick. I, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want us to you know, bring this conversation uh, to the point of Again, this audience in the world that that I work in, the classical Christian world, I think that that ridge line is the one that we're constantly on. And I think again, a lot of parents put kids in schools like ours because they want to protect them. And at some point, uh, you need to move from protection to preparation. And I think we can fall on that. So I think there's some parallels I see to the way we're implementing our schools, and also just part of back to Schaefer, some of his own journey and the crisis of faith that he went through and discovering as he de- dug deep into the historical Christian faith, that it, uh, it, it was robust and could withstand the, the modern world. And again, I think I see some parallels there and what we're doing in our school. So why don't we take a quick break and we'll be right back with this conversation with Dick Kais. Welcome back, Dick Kais. So grateful for our conversation. I'm, you and I were talking over the break. I think we're going to have more to discuss here than we probably fit just into this next segment. So we may um, have a little, we call it base, side, uh, base camp backside. So we'll add a little extra time for our conversation. But before we get to that, I want to come back to this notion. Francis Schaeffer, I think, is this embodiment of, of, of a believer who hit a crisis of belief and said, I want to, I really want to dig deep. And so he dug into um, history and to philosophy. I would make the case he was kind of get, giving himself or in part had a classical education in which he understood the, the, the flow of human history and how Christianity engaged well or maybe didn't engage so well with different points of history that I think ultimately just gave him a confidence that God is true truth and is really on the throne. That's the hope we have, at least for our students. Is that a fair comparison of kind of this journey Schaefer went through in terms of his discovery? Yeah, I, I think so. He was certainly well-educated, uh, and and, uh, and and yet I think his distinctiveness, a lot of people are well-educated and and, are, and and have done wonderful work here and there and, and so on, but I think one of the 
the distinctive things is he really sat down with people and started with their suffering and their sense of emptiness and their sense of uh, where is God, is there a God, and uh, had a tremendous involvement with real-life people who were warm and had beating hearts and so on, who he was talking to. And he spent hours and hours and hours talking to these people, and that drove him to try and uh, to do much of his work was really on on the failed enlightenment and what what that's done to people, the suffering that that's brought on Europe and North America, and the questioning and the crazy ideas that have come out of it, and the, maybe some good ideas that have come out of it, but but really wrestling with with real people, and that that takes courage too. It's in a sense it's easier to sit in a library and read books, and 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 different to. To, to walk out and really engage people in discussion. But he had a very uh, vital connection with his own ideas uh, because they he so experienced and saw the human consequences of those ideas and and uh, and so would would trace them and follow them and, and and so was able to be believable to a lot of the people who came to Labri. Uh, total rebels rejecting everything uh, and and uh, not wanting to hear any of it, but yet say, but yet intrigued. Uh, and also, I'd have to say, the the way Libri works, the Schaefer's wanted to be uh, to demonstrate that God really is there, that He really exists. People often ask, "Who is your target audience in Libri?" And they would say, uh, "We don't have one. It's anybody." Uh, our, our, our purpose is to, to demonstrate by our thinking, by our speaking, by our living, that this God is really there. And so the, the rel- it's not just a place for intellectuals. People come from every which kind of background and, and uh, experience something of Christians trying to live, live that out. And one of, the reason, one of the ways in which that happens is that we don't ever try and raise money. We pray that money comes in to make, it, make Libri work. And we pray that that uh, uh, that we have enough to go on. And for some reason, uh, we still exist. Uh, Fifty, sixty years later, uh, God has kept us going. And and that has had a that that hit me when I stumbled in there as an agnostic in 1964. Uh, it was powerful to me that these this was not just a smart man with interesting ideas, but. Uh, he doesn't know where the money is coming from for the for the meals next week, uh, because it's not it's not in yet, uh, and, and so a sense of the reality uh, on a daily basis of of the presence of God in this, and so it's a many sided um, exposure to the evidence of God's reality. I guess is what I'm saying. I think, and that's something that's so refreshing. Uh, because I think the danger, and it's certainly the case, and again, speaking kind of as a classical Christian educator, that we think because we have a, a deep understanding of history and philosophy that we've somehow become inoculated to uh, falling into other, you know, to to, walk, to either having a very wooden faith or, you know, again, back to walking the ridge line that we become uh, too quick to either fall into being a tribalist or a chameleon. And I think, you know, I would I would agree with that assessment is a fairly sheltered 18-year-old who ended up in Switzerland sitting around a lunch table with um, Schaefer's daughter, Susan, and, and Randall at the head of the table. And I was, I think, the only, maybe only one of two Americans at the table. And it, I was just profoundly struck by the way Christianity 
is not only real for everyone, whether it was the man at the table who just fled the apartheid in South Africa or a Korean uh, medical student, but that Christianity is truth. You know, it, it's it's resilient and it, it's it's real no matter where your kind of cultural uh, and and it can withstand some very difficult questions. We're not going to break it. And I think that was just something that was that we need our students to understand it when they move out into the world. This faith is is robust and it's. Uh, it can handle the hard questions, and I think that's a that's a fine balancing act that Schaefer I think did well. Yeah, and I think the, the it becomes even, the truth of it becomes even more powerful as we realize uh, as we stick our, our heads in or in, in the presence of uh, in other culture how, how someone in another culture experiences this or experiences the same bad ideas. Uh, we've we've for example spent the last twenty five years going to an African American church. And which really believes the Bible, but when they read the Bible, they see things that I didn't see there, because uh, they're coming out of a different culture, and it really is a, is a help to my faith. And uh, that's true in all so, so many ways. Uh, that Christianity is not a, a Western phenomenon for white folks, you know, for in Western Europe and North America, it's overwhelmingly uh, for everybody. It's the world. And uh, the farther we go, the more we see the wonderful application of the of these great truths. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great, and that's a battle we face within our classical Christian world. If you guys are the, you fixate on the westerns and the old dead white guys argument, and certainly there's there's a whole argument for why, you know, and Schaefer would be a part of this conversation. I'm sure that you know the West. There's a reason why people who follow truth actually were leading science, and there's a there's there's reasons when your worldview is framed up in such a way that you are able to move out and engage the world outside our doors uh, successfully. Um, let me kind of steer us back though. I want to just kind of just practical advice, Dick, you've, you've again, is it 50 years? How many, I guess that's, we're getting, yeah, from your Labrie, you've been around a lot of people. I don't know, over the course of 50 years, how many students and have you engaged with i i'm dare to even try to guess that number, but I'm, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm sure. I, yeah. That'll be a good, a fascinating number if you ever figured out a lot. Let's just say that. What advice do you have for parents today who are trying to raise children in this cultural moment so they don't fall into either that chameleon ditch or the tribal ditch? I mean, just very practically, what would you advise? Well, I, I think of three things, and I'll, I'll try and make them as short as I can. Uh, I think the first thing is, is that the, the, the chameleon and muskox model are, are two, two ways of finding a security in a minority, as a minority in a bigger world, uh, that is a social security. It's a security from other people. Uh, either either um, the, we fit in because we blend in, and so we feel secure, or we uh, form our own little community, and so we everybody laughs at our jokes, and because it's all we're all one. Now that's getting security from other people. I think we need to really stretch and get our security from God. And, and not have it tied to idols. Uh, and so for parents and so on, a, a huge thing is uh, our, our own lives need to be a good story, uh, meaning free from idols. Uh, the thing that motive, things that motivate us, uh, deepest motivations need to be really honoring God uh, and not caught in all sorts of idols about money, about success, about all kinds of things that are that that, that, that surround us. The, the second thing, and that's obviously we could go for on for a long time on that. The second thing I would say is that we need to be part of a a non-tribal community. <laughs> uh, 
we, this isn't something we can do it alone. Uh, we need each other. We need the, the church in the New Testament uh, time, as I look at it at its best, uh, would come together and be and pray together and patch each other up and go out into the world, get beaten up, come back into the church and get patched up again, go out in the world, get beaten up, come back in the church, figure out how to how to do things better, how to answer things better. And, and so we need a, a an oscillating pattern of a church uh, that is out in the world, but coming back together to be strengthened, to be taught and so on. And and uh, uh, we need the community, but it, it, it can so easily become a tribal community, a place where we sit and, and think of how right we are and how spiritual we are and how evil and stupid everybody else is. Uh, and, and then we've, we've fallen off. We've done what Jesus says you can't do uh, and, and still be my church. Uh, we fit into any of these, either of these patterns of compromise or tribalism. Uh, the third thing here is 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 we need, I think, recover a Christian cultural apologetics. And it was our way of connecting with the non-Christian world must be really connected to what they're doing and what they're thinking and how they're seeing things. And we must help ourselves from this tribal community, or for, for this non-tribal community. Uh, we must help each other uh, learn how to confront this world with our behavior, with our words, with our letters, with our everything else, uh, and, and, uh, and really improve. Uh, I think of Wilberforce as a model, and everybody looks at Wilberforce, but they, they need to also look at the, at the group of people that he had that, from which that, that were his base. And they were about a dozen to 15, went down from a dozen up to about 20 people in London who he would meet with and pray with and who would do research for him and who would be, some of them were in Parliament, some of them, so some of them with him, and, and they were part of his power source in, in politically. And, and, uh, but, but it was a group of people who helped him uh, connect with the all that was going on in the world. And he was, when they died, they, when he died, they found out he was a member of, uh, a really contributing member of about a hundred organizations, all to do with animal rights, to do with cruelty to animals, to do with uh, all sorts of things in the, we would call the third world. Uh, against, he was against, obviously, the, the slavery was his main thing that he was against, but he was also involved in all sorts of things of against gambling and uh, different parts of life in Britain that he thought was falling, uh, falling apart. But he could do that with integrity uh, from this group called the Clapham's, called Clapham Group. Uh, and and uh, his power was totally uh, connected to uh, this group of people that, that, that were standing with him. So uh, I think we need to hunger for things like this in our churches, in our, in our groups of people, in our friends, we have people leave Labrie, and they forever are asking, how can I, once I leave, uh, keep going with what we know, what we've experienced here? How can we have live discussions of what's going on in the world and bringing the Bible to those discussions? Uh, and we always say, find somebody of like mind to start with. <laughs> you know, find someone who's, who can take these ideas seriously and doesn't, doesn't think you're crazy. Uh, and so uh, that, that, those are my three sort of... Uh, pressure points, and and I think in this there's a danger, obviously, of compromise, but also there's a danger. I've done a lecture actually. I call the danger of safety, and that's because uh, 
if we have too strong an idea of safety, of, of keeping safe, we're already sliding down the one of the wrong sides from the from the ridgepole. We're always already going toward tribalism. If we if our if our first response to something new is to say no, <laughs> because we it keeps us more safe, that's a problem. Uh, that will really hurt us with the next generation. Uh, and and uh, it's not that we should say yes to everything at all, but but uh, we need to uh, beware of the danger of, of of a commitment to safety that that gives us a reflex to say no. Well, Dick Hodge, thanks so much as always. For those who are wondering, we probably should have said this at the beginning. What are they saying? Labri? What is this thing? First of all, we should probably. Can you just spell it out and like we're talking about the website? And there's a whole resource library. You mentioned it earlier that so many of these lectures have been digitized that are now available. So where do people find out more? Uh, I think I think so. Just just Google Labri, our Labri Fellowship. It's L apostrophe A B R I. It's just the French word for shelter. It does, has nothing to do with cheese. It's the it's the French word for shelter, uh, which which the Schaefers uh, felt was appropriate as they started in Switzerland, French speaking Switzerland. It is. It makes for a good conversation too. So, Dick guys, thanks so much as always for being part of Basecamp. We're going to continue our conversation. Stick around, um, but for now, thanks so much, Dick guys. That's a wrap on another episode of Basecamp Live. Guys, we know it's not easy raising the next generation. This idea of ancient future education is valuable and important. We are so excited about it, and we would love to hear from you and support you in what you are doing. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Basecamp Live. Also, send us an email at info at basecamplive.com. So until next time, let's keep climbing the mountain before us together. For those of you who want to stick around afterwards, we'll, we'll talk for another uh, 10, 12 minutes with Dick and continue this conversation because I think this is really complicated but so important to figure out where is that, again, the ridgepole, the balancing act, and not um, in good, with good intentions trying to protect that we actually end up turning off or turning away our, our, our children, um, even as educators. Welcome to Basecamp Backside. Davies Owens here with Dick Kais. We had too much to talk about, Dick. We've got to continue on just for a little bit more because I think we were just starting to get going and the clock is running out on us and I'm trying to uh, keep keep uh, an eye on the clock. But I want, to, I want to just jump right back in. This is a very interesting moment that we're in. I think our country is more polarized than we've ever been. There is more of a sense of us versus them. Um, it seems like we're becoming more tribal just all uh, as a general population. And even as those who are people of faith, um, it's harder to engage maybe those outside our doors. Because again, as we talked about in the interview, there's more and more uh, dismissing of anything that's true truth or absolute truth. Everything is relative, nothing matters. Um, and I think it's, it might, the natural tendency when we're fearing is to, is to retreat, to become sequestered, to try to seek safety, especially for our students and our children. Um, Talk about that. That has been the opposite direction. Again, that Schaefer's always Schaefer's run into the fire boldly, and and there is a need for us to not uh, retreat. Talk about uh, why that's so important. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Well, I, th- I think the as we go, as we go drift into the tribal side, our our tendencies are either I I see two patterns there. There's one is is timidity. 
that we sort of keep a low profile, lift up our head above the foxhole for a second and then duck down back again. Uh, or, or uh, I mean, I, I lectured on this and somebody says, that's, that's not, the, not the chameleon, that's the prairie dog syndrome. His <laughs> 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 head up above, above the ground and ducks down. Uh, that's one pattern. But the other is, from still within the tribal, is, is belligerence is having it being right, knowing the answers and knowing and just waiting in, uh, in a very, um, ununderstanding way uh, to, to, to those who aren't Christians and those who disagree with us, uh, with real belligerence. And I, I see a huge way that evangelical Christians today are coming across as belligerent people and, and, uh, they know the answers. They, it's, it's tied to the political commitments, I think, uh, Schaefer there as well, I think, is a very his very important writings. Uh, we're saying we need to learn how to be co-belligerents with people who don't need to be our allies. In other words, we don't need to sign into anybody's package. We can be co-belligerent with the left one time and co-belligerent with the right another time, and and uh, because of the issues, because the issues are different. Uh, I, I don't feel comfortable in either the Republican or the Democratic Party for my, myself, and I'm and I don't want to be comfortable in either one uh, because I I disagree with issues on both sides. So a way of keeping from being tribal is to is to watch out for for our political commitments. I think uh, that we don't drift into a, into a, um, something that we don't really don't want to be want to be involved in. But but um, the the uh, a key thing I think that that we find with students coming to us, I, I remember someone coming and saying, "I didn't." Uh, she arrived early afternoon, and I was tutoring somebody else, and no one else was around. And I I got to see her only very late in the afternoon. She was just wandering around the place, and and uh, I I sat down with her, asked her what what was um what what her her story was, and what what uh, she was hoping to get from with us. And she said a thing that amazed me. She says, "Already, I'm better." Hmm. And I said, "What?" You know, she had heard none of our brilliant lectures or discussions or anything <laughs> like this. She just wandered around, and she says, "I I felt this is a safe place to doubt, and so already I feel better. The doubt is legal uh, here." And I thought, "Oh my goodness, how tragic uh, that her own doubts have not been safe." And and, uh, and and just being around and just rubbing shoulders with a few people, that is a big issue. That is a big issue. If, yeah. if doubts are not safe, uh, then, then uh, uh, doubts don't get addressed. Doubts get stuffed. Uh, I, I think it was just another short, short story of uh, a guy who came and wanted to study prayer. He'd been a Christian for a while. He wanted to study prayer is difficult for him. Uh, I set him up with about a week's worth of things to do on prayer. He came back three days later, though, and he says, Dick, uh, actually, I really don't think there is a God. Uh, and I thought, okay, well, scrap all that stuff that I gave you to study before, and let's sit down and, and, and come up with another study plan that really addresses where you're at. And I've always thought of that because this poor guy had been trying to pray and feeling and prayer had been terribly hard because he didn't really believe there was a God to pray to. And and uh, and been trying to pretend there was a God to pray to, and couldn't figure out why he was having such trouble praying. And and uh, I just think of his suffering in in doing that was just really uh, instructive to me. 
And so there needs to be not just, well, there needs to be, right? people need to experience that it's safe to pray. We don't need to be just told. You can't just tell people it's safe to pray and then jump all over them when they raise something that's upsetting to you, that's anti-Christian to you. Uh, they need to experience that it's that it's safe. So, so that's that's a huge thing for young people today because they see it. If we if they don't think we're being really honest about doubts, they doubt about the whole truth of the whole shebang uh, at a deep level. And that's always been the tagline of Labrie: honest answers to honest questions. Like if you you there's no there's no um, limit to what you can ask, and it's okay. The Christian faith, you're not going to be the one person who shows up at Labrie and asks the question that unravels the whole thing because um, it, it you found the weak link. It doesn't that, that boldness is is often missing. I think you're right. But it's 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 a uh, I think that's something where we need to really um, that that has to do with not just what we think, but and then of course it means we need to be willing to say we don't have a clue. What the answer is, but let's sit down together and figure it out, uh, and and uh, try and put put somebody together. But but to have and that that is people sometimes. Uh, well, Schaefer in, in trying to stay on the ridge pole gets shot at from both sides, and that's going to be true of anybody who's on the ridge pole. You're going to have people on from either side saying you're you're you've got it all wrong, and and uh, so 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 it's a important i think that we we prepare ourselves for that but he was he always got shot at for being an intellectual and being too open for to to not the non-christian world why would anyone want to spend time in art museums today uh they he, he's he was told and, and to love art museums and he said no going to a modern art museum is agony to me because I can, I can see what so many where so many of these people are coming from but i need to go and and his point is that this is love for someone and love for those who aren't Christians that we take the time to do that and, and to read their books and see their films and so on. And, and uh, it's, it's not just because uh, we like being an intellectual or something like this uh, or, or like to dabble in non-Christian things, sort of forbidden things. If we care for people, we need to be, to love them enough to look, to think through their ideas. And, and he's, as some of us are, are aware of one of his uh, little books that's, uh, actually, one of his most important books is, is called The Mark of the Christian. And uh, in it, he articulates that he, what he says is the final apologetic is love. The final thing that's really final, finally convincing and, and persuasive to someone is if they experience love among Christians. And uh, in other words, it's not just getting one answer to the last question that they had, although that's totally important because it, it's, those questions are real, uh, and we're not trying to minimize that. But if they're not experiencing love and kindness from and between and observing it between Christians, um, we, we, uh, we're not giving them what God wants them to see. Well, I think that's a, a very apropos comment, Dick. I think part of what kind of, again, setting in the context of this world that we're in as classical Christian educators and parents, one of the, I think we can become short-sighted by um, not really leaving grammar school. And what I mean by that is in this sort of trivium of Latin, you know, the Latin trivium of we have grammar and then logic and rhetoric that I think a lot of times uh, we stay in grammar, meaning it's a very fixed fact. Um, We don't want to really work through the difficult issues. And, and so what happens, and this is, it's interesting kind of, pulling together everything we've been talking about, this ridgepole problem is a lot of our high school students 
uh, come through and they're, they're still working in a very fixed grammar school world where certain questions uh, really shouldn't be asked or if they are asked, it's it's outside of kind of the polite conversation of the Christian circle. And and I think kids get frustrated. I was actually recently talking to a head of school who uh, about a high school class uh, with a particular teacher and in you know a lot of students just kind of felt like uh, we basically just need to um, uh, do it do what the teacher says and get the grade and let's don't worry so much about what is really going on in terms of the ideas but let's just basically follow this teacher's uh, particular uh, desire to get the right grade or whatever it may be so the point is that I think we're we've got to figure out how to release our students, especially as they get near college, to be able to truly take on any question and find uh, that it it's safe, to your point. I think there's a, a safe, um, and maybe just add one more point, I want to get back to you on this, but it's interesting talking to, I know a lot of kids that are in public schools that there is absolutely no safety right now around being able to talk about anything matters of faith or anything political or anything really that's outside of a certain set of uh, expected conversation pieces. And this is what is so wonderful about Labrie is honest answers to any question. And we need to have that freedom uh, or we fall into the tribal ditch. Not that we have answers to them all any more than anybody else. Does, but we, we, uh, we do what we can and, and, and try to and see it as part of uh, loving them. But you just went on the way by, I mentioned another thing that I guess I could go all along way on this, but is, is a, one of the main Libri principles is the lordship of Christ over all of life. In other words, God's spoken to all of life. It's not just to narrowly to religious uh, subjects and 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 topics and th- and activities, uh, but but the whole of life is is uh, uh, is His, and we need to take it all seriously, not just the narrowly religious kinds of things like. Uh, like like prayer and worship and so on, which are absolutely central and important, but but uh, they he also also wants us to think about politics and wants us to think about education and wants to think about art and and so on and and uh, uh, because it's God's world and and we're meant to live in God's world and let that expand and and I think a lot of resistance to the Christian faith come from uh, people who think uh, Christians are just concerned for prayer and worship, not what's happening in South Africa, say, or, or what's happening in, I mean, there are, there are how many million refugees in the world today, and what do we, we, does that matter? Uh, well, you know, it really does matter, and if our faith doesn't have room for that to matter, uh, that faith is much smaller than it ought to be. And so, but that, that's a huge topic, which is... It's a huge topic, I know, we're, and we're... <laughs> And it, it, it maybe by clo- way of closing, I think it's interesting too. Just this is perhaps should just be a completely different podcast. But the notion I, we talk a lot about at the end of the day, we're we're in this. Edwards talks about the affections, kind of the battle for the affections. Like you can win the intellectual arguments, but if you've not really drawn holistically the soulishness of who we are, or what we love, we've really kind of lost the war. And I think this is really the battleground is is largely today with technical devices and smartphones and you know we can spend seven hours with students uh kind of protected from all of that but the minute they walk out the door i call it the 301 problem you know donald drew called it cyclops the television the one-eyed monster kind of lights up and there's this whole totally new narrative uh that is very much playing not just to their intellect but to their affections and to uh their identity and that's that's the piece that we've got to their desires their desires exactly and if we're not in that, if we're not uh, 
you know, exchanging um, that currency of desires and talking at that level, then we just leave them uh, wanting more if it's just the intellectual. And I think, again, the classical educators can sometimes make that problem. Like, hey, we read Plato, we've done Dante, they're now ready for the real world. I'm like, no, I, you never even got down to where they truly live and breathe, which is their desires. So it sounds like that's part of the the work that you're doing all the time at Labrie is how do you really move move the students? It, it's too easy to have just think straight and behave properly, and then then you're okay. You're you're wound up and turned loose like a tin soldier. Um, where whereas. Uh, the secular world, especially the advertising industry and the entertainment industry, knows all about desires and how important they are and how to control people through them. But uh, I think we haven't, uh, Augustine understood this, but I think a lot of Christians between then and now haven't got a grasp on it. Right. That's a great, well, let's, that might be a, an interesting topic for another day to pursue, because I think there's a lot there that, um, that's the richness of our Christian faith, is that it, it, it speaks to our desires. It answers those soulish questions. And the intellect is part of the road to making that discovery, but it's not the end point in of itself. So the wonderful thing is the Christian faith is, is a, a unity. It holds, it holds them all together. Yes. It's, it's, I like to say it's real world ready, which is the, what we need right now is a faith that can endure this crazy moment we're living in. All right. Well, thank you for, for hanging a little bit longer today. It's always good to talk to you. I do encourage folks to investigate this amazing uh, ministry, Labrie Fellowship, and the work that God does. Like you said, you guys have never advertised. You're not going to see a ad for Labrie and Christianity Today. It's amazing how God brings people and uh, brings resources. So thanks for your time and blessings to you and the work you're doing. Great, Ben. Good to talk to you. Thanks, Dick.